You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hi guys, this is Lindsay. And this is Leslie. And we are here with my friend Tara. Say hi, Tara. Hi, guys. (laughs) We're so happy to have Tara here with us tonight. She is an amazing mom of six, and we're just going to let her kind of start by telling us about her journey as a mom. Mm. Yes. (laughs) So, yes, I have six kids, and my oldest is just turned 15 and just got a learner's permit, so that's a little crazy. That's scary. And my youngest (laughs) is two and a half. So, I go two boys, a girl, two boys, a girl. So, yeah, four boys. That's crazy. <laughs> but I got the two got the two girls in there, so it breaks it up a little bit. Um, so I am 38 years old, so I had my first when I was like 23, I think, was how old I, when I had him. And um, been married for 17 years, so it's, it's a long time. And um, did you experience postpartum depression with all of your children or no okay no it and I've never officially been diagnosed but depression runs in my family my dad suffered from it um and I suffered from it in college and I was put on medication in college and it it helped for like the first like month and then after that I went crazy like Mm. like I was like, who am I? What am I? Like, this is like, and so my doctors took me off it really quick because they're like, we're not even going to try and figure out your dosage because you just need to get off of it. Because he was like, you know what? You g- we got through what we needed to get you through. So let's just see if you can be fine without it. And I was fine. And I, and I was like, oh, this is so good to not be on this. Like, I feel myself. Like, this is good. And never been on it. Never had any other issues. And so... My first pregnancy, everything was great. Second pregnancy, like that was my best pregnancy ever. And then my third pregnancy, I was really sick. So I was like, knew it was a girl. So I was like, yay. And then my fourth pregnancy, they're only 18 months apart. So I didn't have anything wrong or anything with that one. And then you get into my fifth one. And so I'm already going to start crying. (laughs) Um, during that pregnancy my mom passed away i was 20 weeks pregnant and they were serving an lds mission so they left when my child number four was nine months old and so they were gone for 18 months and she got diagnosed with cancer in april and passed away in june so and they were still on their mission and they were she was so severely sick that she couldn't travel back home to St. George because that's where I'm from St. George Utah and they couldn't travel back up there and so um in addition to that my husband was unemployed and so financially we couldn't like do anything but I just knew that if I didn't go say goodbye to my mom because I hadn't seen her for 18 months you know my life I would hate myself for it So we went down there and we got to spend eight days with her before she passed away. And I was, you know, I was 20 weeks pregnant when she passed. And so to deal with the pregnancy and then her death 
was extremely hard. And my doctor, who is the most wonderful man on earth, because he's been my doctor since I was little. My mom was his nurse. So he knows her. He knows my family, like, really well. He um, kept tabs on me. And so he would just check up on me even more so just, you know, during my pregnancy. Like, he would just shoot me a text or whatever and just be like, hey, how you doing? You know, everything okay? And so then we get through the, my pregnancy and I deliver him. And I didn't know what gender it was because I knew, I was like, I can't control anything else that's going on. I can't control my husband's job. I can't control my mom. I, you know, I can't control anything, but I can control not finding out the gender. I'm like, and that gets me something that gets me looking forward to and can get me through the next day. Because I was like, if I have another boy and I know right now, I'm going to lose my mind because I cried extremely hard when I found out my <laughs> child number four was a boy. And I was like, no. <laughs> so then he came and, you know, he was a boy and I was happy because he was here. Um, but that, at that point, not having my mom... This was the first delivery that my mom wasn't there for. Mm. And so to not have her there was, it, it affected me harder than I probably thought I did. Like at that point, like I look back and I'm like, oh, that was really hard. You know, and my sisters were there to help me through it and all of that. But, you know, they don't replace a mom. And, you know, when you're like delivering a baby, you let, you want your mom there. And my mom and I were really close because by the time when I turned 13 years old, it was just me and my parents because I'm six years younger than my next sibling. And so it was us for many, many years. And so we became really, really close. And so to not have her there was extremely hard. And to not have her there like during all of the newborn stage and everything was so hard. But for me, I never, I never like got suicidal thoughts and I never wanted to hurt my kids my baby because my baby was my he newborns are like my like safe place like I love newborns I like and I would notice a little bit like with going through after delivery of him where I'd just be like in the shower or doing my hair and my mind would be yelling at me like I don't and I would tell my husband and he'd be like that doesn't make sense. It's like, why is your mind yelling at you? But it would literally like, you got to brush your hair harder. You got to, you know, like literally telling me what I'm doing, but yelling at me to do it. And to like, to the point where I would have to put everything down and just like, I'd be shaking and I would like cover my head. And I brought it up to my doctor once. And he said, that's your mind starting to lose it. He's like, that's you, that is a part of a postpartum, like your mind's going to go, you know? And so he never put me on anything, but he would like, he'd give me like things to cope with when that would happen. And, um, which when they would happen and I would do those coping skills, it's amazing how quickly it would bring it back down. Like what are the coping skills? Um, he would just, just yeah, he would just say, um, close your eyes, cover your ears, and just hum. Those, like, that would be, like, what I would do. I would just close my eyes, cover my ears, and hum. Just kind of bring yourself back. Yeah, just because the humming would distract the yelling in my head. 
And um, so, but it wasn't, and I never got the yelling, like, to, like, hurt my kids or anything like that. But I would, it would be like, I'd get points where I'd go, what if this happened? What if this, like, and then, you know, and so I'd, you know, I'm like, well, that's not normal. So I'd get myself back down. And then I'd go through the, you know, getting him. And, like, that was the worst with him. Like, I never experienced anything else with him. Did you find that happening more than when you were just in the shower? Like, was it like any time you were kind of alone with uh-huh. your thoughts? Yeah. Like, oh, that's what triggered it was being alone? Yeah. How long did it last? Um, I'd say maybe up to like six months to a year, maybe. Um, like for the first little while, it would happen frequently. And like, I remember sometimes like I would just be yelling back at my at my brain just it'd be yelling at me and I'd be yelling at it and it was you know like a battle that was not fun and like you know my husband was like yeah you're crazy (laughs) because that's not normal did you talk to anyone else besides your doctor and your husband Mm -mm. no you didn't tell anyone else no because my mom wasn't there right you know and she's the one that I would always go to well, and when you feel crazy, it's like, who do I want to tell that I feel crazy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, my brain's yelling at me, you know, which, yeah. but I never felt cr- like, I never felt crazy. Does that, like, I knew what was happening and I knew it was crazy, but I never felt like I was like losing my mind, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause it's happening to you. So you're like, it's normal cause it's happening. Yeah. You know, and the stigma about postpartum is you have suicidal thoughts. You want to kill your baby. Mm-hmm. That never happened. I never wanted to kill myself. I never wanted to hurt my kid. So I never thought, oh, this is postpartum. You know, until my doctor, I brought it up to him. And he's like, well, that's your mind starting to break down itself and fight itself, you know. And so that happened and it was fine. You got rid of that. And then I got pregnant again. And... um this time we found out really early that the baby had down syndrome and so i went in for lots of tests lots of tests and had um like two ultrasounds and then um at my 20 week ultrasound the baby had passed away and so i had to then go through another heartbreak without my mom and you know i had to go be dilated I had to deliver I had to leave my baby there in the hospital and go down the elevator which was the hardest thing ever to do if anyone's experienced it you know how hard it is to leave a child that you know you're not going to be able to come back and see and to go down that elevator I, I broke I just I literally just fell to the ground and I just broke and my husband fell with me and we just cried and cried and cried and my doctor he so my doctor stayed the night with us because when you have stillborn babies usually they try to if if they can um, get you to the hospital during the night where it's not loud and crazy and you have people coming in during the day getting induced and babies you know, so you can have that peaceful time. And my doctor, because he knew how hard that was and everything, he stayed the night at the hospital with us. So we got in there like at 10 o'clock at night. He slept there until I delivered her at 7.30 in the morning. Wow. Just because he knew how hard it was going to be. And 
What a support. Yeah, no kidding. He literally has been like my saving grace. Like mm-hmm. people and he so I live in Lehigh, Utah, and he um practices in Spanish Fork, which is twenty to thirty minute drive. People think I'm crazy to drive that far to see a doctor. And I'm like, no. Not when you find no, one like that. Not when, not when I have him. For sure. <laughs> like, um, one of his sons, when I posted about, because I, I took a picture in the hospital room of my husband laying there, my sister laying there, and my other sister laying there. Took a picture of them, and I'm wide awake, because I can't sleep, obviously, because what I know that is happening. Mm-hmm. And I took a picture, and I posted it saying that this is my night this is what i'm doing and why and his son made a comment um you know good luck i'm sorry you're going through this whatever and i said well i'm in your dad's hands so i couldn't be in better hands you know and he was like that is so he's like could i take that as a huge compliment you know and so so i go through that night and that was being alone in that hospital room well i wasn't alone but i had you know my support sleeping because it was you know yeah in the mm-hmm. middle of the night that my mind craziness started coming back because i could feel even though i knew my baby was passed away i could like feel her moving down mm. to for delivery because i had to dilate I, and so for me to feel her i was like she's not dead you know so my mind started fighting mm. with me again like yelling at me she's not dead she's not dead and so I had to, you know, go back and draw on those coping skills to get my mind reset. And having my mom's not there again, I I literally broke down. And I just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. Like, this is too hard. You know, it's not worth it. And that is a time where I have felt almost being able like I still am reaching out to try and grab where she was because I could feel her right there and I kept trying to grab her and hug her because she came down and she was there for me when I needed her you know and so she got me through that delivery and then my doctor the next morning after when he left he said one of the best things that I could ever take with me he said take this bad experience and make a happy experience with it so when you look back on this time you can think of that hard time but you also can associate it with the happy time and so i took my family and we went out of town like we went and had fun with cousins and family and so now when i look back at that i have those good times associated with it and so that was that was changing right there because that helped me so much go through her delivery be like having to deal with everything that comes after that i didn't choose to um bury her because at that um how many weeks i was by law you didn't have to so we um chose to do a you know a hospital cremation with her so i could have my own little thing to remember her by and stuff at my house um which the kids love my other kids love to go and look how little her hands were and how Mm -hmm. little her feet were and her fingers and you know so and now when I look back at that 
the little box memory time with her, I can think of how hard it was, but yet I also have that happy memory that, you know, I took my family and we went away and we had fun and we just put that behind us. What was her name? Um, we named her Naoma. Oh, I love that. Which that is, um, to me growing up, that was always an angel name because my, um, mother's mother. So my, my grandma passed away when my mom was five years old and her name was Naoma. So that uh, I grew up with that name always being an angel name and a name that I could never be mad at and yell and in frustration and stuff like that because my mom couldn't. And so it was only fitting to name my angel baby Mm -hmm. that same name. Yeah. So, so yeah, so then we go through this and I didn't really have any other complications per se depression or anything like that with them you know because I also had five other kids at home that I you know had to be a mom for and I had to wake up for and I had to do what I needed to for um but then I got pregnant again and this pregnancy I had complications with I had an umbilical cord that um was attached to the side of my placenta so the doctors didn't know how long my umbilical cord was and um so i had to start i had to have non-stress tests with um and we didn't know the gender of this one because it was fun to not find out you know and i was like i already got four boys and one girl so (laughs) whatever whatever. we're ready for anything yeah and so we um you know when with all the non-stress tests and ultrasounds because of the previous pregnancy I had to have lots of ultrasounds just because of what her condition. So I had to see perinatologists and stuff like that. So with all those ultrasounds, I lucked out and never once skimmed over and saw the gender. So the, <laughs> so those. Way to exercise your self-control, Tara. <laughs> yeah. I Whoa, know. Cause I awesome. had, I had a lot. That would be really hard. <laughs> it was really hard, really hard. Um, but so during her pregnancy with, and with all my non-stress tests, my, um, amniotic fluid kept rising. And so at, um, 36 weeks, my amniotic fluid was, um, was like triple what it should have been. And there is a technical medical term for that, but I don't, I don't know what it is right now. I don't know. We're not looking it up. Yeah. So <laughs> details. <That's> okay. <laughs> Whatever. So my doctor said, um, you're having a baby. And she had turned herself breech. So her heart rate was going all over the place. And he's like, um, but we can't put you in right now because we, you're going to have to have a C-section unless she turns herself breech. But because there's no one here or there's like, we can't schedule you for C-section. So you're going to have to stay at the hospital. And I was like, what? I did not think I was having a baby. I'm like, I'm down here in Provo. My husband's in Lehigh. I'm like, I call him. I'm like, mm, pack my bags, honey, because we're having a baby. <laughs> like, and this was at 36 weeks? Yeah, this was at 36 weeks. So I get monitored all night long, um, hoping that, you know, she turn herself around. And she never did. So I was the first appointment in the morning. So they got me in. And, you know, not knowing the gender, the anesthesiologist was like, I'll take pictures, you know, because I had to have a C-section because my doctor 
Well, he said, he's like, if this was a normal pregnancy, he's like, it's your sixth child, seventh delivery, all I'd just let you deliver breach. And, you know, he's like, but because of her cord issue, yeah, I'm not going to risk it because I don't because of where it is. I don't want an arm getting caught mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, um, so I have to have a semi-emergency C-section, and so I go in, have the C-section, and not knowing the gender, like I said, the anesthesiologist was—he's like, "I'll take pictures," because my husband was like, "I ain't watching." <laughs> He about passed out when I had to have an episiotomy with my first. <laughs> so, so he's like, I'm not going to watch a C-section. Way to bring a, be dramatic, Dave. <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Although he did help deliver Cutler, my number five. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, you're not a total wuss. I'm not a, he got better with me. So he, yeah, so he delivered and I cut the cord with number five. So oh, that wow. was kind of fun. Yeah. That's cool. But he was like, I'm not watching a C-section. Yeah. Like, that's way too... Yeah. And I was like, that's fine. More I want to watch more it. More than he's prepared to see. <laughs> I know. So I asked for the, the clear screen, but because of how I had to lay down, I couldn't see. But I was like, but they'll, you know, show me the baby. Um, but because of um, her, the amniotic fluid rising and the cord issue, they didn't know what was, getting, what was causing it. So she was going to have to go to the NICU as soon as delivery was done. So, but he's like, so... I'm going to break your water and I'm going to, you know, tell you pressure's going to come because, you know, I got to go up and get the baby. So I'm laying there and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, here's the baby and it's a baby girl and takes them right off. So I missed everything. We don't have any pictures. We don't have anything because of once he cut my, you know, broke my water. I, because I had so much of it, she just came swimming right out oh. oh like he didn't have to do it like he just caught her it was like a wow fish going downstream oh. <laughs> yeah so i can see that you explained that very well yes. <laughs> picturing it as well <laughs> so like so yeah we missed it all like no pictures no nothing and i didn't even get to see her because i took her straight to the nicu and so you know my husband goes to the nicu with her and i'm getting there you know getting stitched up and I'm losing blood because I had um, varicose veins inside my uterus that weren't cauterizing. And so I'm losing blood. So, like, it was... That's scary. I almost had a, had to have a blood transfusion. But they ended up stopping and it was all was well. Um, but I did ask... I asked, I was like, so how long was the court? And his, his you know, because they have two doctors that do it. Um, the other doctor said it was long enough that's all I got so then we go up to the NICU and I was like give me my baby and I just you know rip her diaper off because I was like I gotta see that if it's a girl you know I'm like they said it was a girl but I didn't see so so then to verify yeah. yep so then you know we go down to the our room and stuff and I mentally was having another struggle because it was yet another pregnancy that my mom wasn't there for and another scary delivery that I would never thought I'd have to happen and my mom wasn't there for and so there was one night where I really really had a really hard time I wasn't sleeping I was thinking well what if I just drove home and you know my car got in a car accident you know what would happen then would I would my kids like 
would I be paralyzed? Would I never thought about dying because I never wanted to die ever. But I, you know, just be like the what ifs. What if I got paralyzed? What would I do? What if this? What if that? You know. And then they brought me my baby, and I saw her, and I said, "Oh, hi, my little ray, my little ray of sunshine." So I called my husband and I said, "Dave, we ended up. I I named our baby." And I named her Rayleigh. And that wasn't a name that we had thought about. Wasn't a name that we had discussed. Nothing. And he's like, oh, oh you did? I'm like, yep, I did. <laughs> when you know, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, she's my little ray of sunshine. And in addition to this, my husband was still un- was unemployed again. So he was unemployed during my fifth baby, Got had a job for a year, and then was unemployed again. And so, not that we planned it, and I was pregnant before he lost his job both times. Um, And so, with all of this, my dad was having health issues. He was living in St. George and didn't come up for the delivery or anything like that, obviously, because we had no warning, because it was just happening, Mm -hmm. Um, which was fine. He was fine down there and I was fine up here. And then we get home from the hospital and the next morning, like I had fallen asleep on the couch with my feet up on a thing. And that next morning, my, my calf was hurting. And I was like, oh, I probably just got like a Charlie horse. And then it didn't go away, didn't go away. for. And so this was on Wednesday. And I was like, well, I remember at the hospital, you know, I had to have those compression things on my calves. And my doctor would always check my calves and ask me to flex and point and if any pain. And I was like, well, maybe there was something to it. So then I called my doctor and he said, go get an ultrasound right now. And so he's like, I will, I'm calling this hospital. You go there. They will be waiting for you and you'll be getting an ultrasound for a blood clot. So get the ultrasound and, you know, it's of my leg. So I was like the I'm like what is like and I didn't think anything of it I was like it's just a cramp I was just sleeping on it weird but no it was a blood clot oh yeah so I just started crying because the ultrasound tech was like this is a blood clot and you're gonna have to start getting on blood thinners like as soon as possible and I don't know if you'll be able to nurse and I lost it because nursing to me that like I said like I said before babies newborns are my safe place and nursing is what part of that so for and to have it be my last baby and for me to not be able to nurse I lost it and he was like um you're okay I was like no you don't understand I need this for my mental sanity I need to be able to have this and he was like, but it's okay. Women don't nurse all the time. I was like, I know, I know, you know, but like. But it was important to you. It yep. was important to exactly. me because I, because mentally I knew what it does for me. My doctor, you know, calls and's like, yep, blood clot. So we got to get you on blood thinners and we got, you got to give yourself shots twice a day wow. in your tummy. So I have a C-section scar that's still raw still new and then i have to give myself shots twice a day he said and i remember specifically because i thought it was weird he said you cannot be alone for 48 hours and i was like 
why can't I be alone for 48 hours? He's like, you have a newborn. You have a blood clot. You can do, like, you have to give yourself shots. He's like, there a, a lot can happen mm-hmm. mentally because of all of those things that are piling on of you right now. He's like, for your sanity, for your safety, you cannot be alone for 48 hours. And he's like, and I would like it to be till your blood gets thin enough where we don't have to to worry about the blood clot moving. Which took 48 hours. So that was fine. So I could, you know, be alone. But it was still weird that he specifically said. He was on top of it. He was was on top of it. Really watching out for you. Yeah, he was. So... I had to do this. Wouldn't it be nice if every time we go through something traumatic like that or some big life news, like a blood clot or any kind of health issue, if our provider would say, this is a big deal. You yeah. need to, you know, watch your watch your mental health. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have the support you need because you could start to have some thoughts. Yeah. Because it's, it's, a, it's a big thing for you to go through and to adjust to yeah huge thing yeah huge you know because my husband was unemployed my mom was passed away my dad's having health issues i had a early baby i had you have a newborn newborn you have five other kids i have five other kids at my house i have blood clot i have to give myself shots you know you may not be able to nurse exactly but he found blood thinners that made it so i could nurse he like i said he is an amazing amazing doctor and he was on top of it and there in times where i would feel myself necessarily like getting down or whatever i would text him and be like hey so this thought or this happened you know help me or whatever and you know or and he'd be like you're okay you know it's all right you're good you know and kind of just talk you through talk me through things and we'll move forward six weeks we go down to st george so this is over president's day weekend we go down to st george to see my dad for the first time with this newborn baby and that weekend was the last time and the first time that my dad met my daughter because he passed away two weeks after so so we here I am again. I have a newborn baby and I have just lost my other parent, my other lifeline. Not only was that emotionally hard, but mentally it was hard because I was mad. I was mad at everything. Like I didn't want anything like my kids. I would just ignore my kids. I would like th- get them up, get them to school and then I'd go back to bed. And then I'd get up and feed the baby. And then I'd go back to bed. Because I was just so mad. Because I was like, my lifelines are gone. My parents are gone. I am an orphan. I just have a newborn baby. I can't do this anymore. And I literally would just lay on the couch. And I have, like, what? A three-year-old at home. Netflix, movies, were his best friends. And my neighbors some of them were great some of them didn't know what was happening but even during this uh, it affected friendships it affected because i had friends that were rocks that i would go to and they would i found them falling further and further away from me and i was i'm like what what are you doing where are you going and 
you know, comments were made where it was, it's hard to be around you because you're not happy. Um, it's hard to be around your kids because your kids are fighting and you're not taking care of them. You know, and looking back now, I can see where they said that, but that was how I survived. It was, I can't, if I have to fight them, I'm going to fight them and it's not going to end well for either me or them. I just stayed in a funk. I stayed in my couch. I stayed like just, I just did the bare minimum and my doctor, he would see it and he would be like, Terry, you've got to work out. And I love to work out. I have danced my whole life. I am a dance teacher. He's like, Terry, you've got to take care of yourself. You got to do this. You know, he's like, let's start building. And he didn't want to put me on antidepressants or anything like that because he knew what it did to me last time I was on it. And so he said, unless we can get you by yourself where you need to be, we're going to have to put you on stuff. And it took me a little while, but I finally got there where I was not laying on the couch all day long and you know my kids would come home and they'd be like oh mom you showered you know or mom you're making dinner or mom you know and so I got to the point where I did that and you know those friendships that were affected you know those hit me hard because I was like you guys were my lifelines when I lost mine you know and you didn't ask for those yeah I didn't you know and and we've talked about them and They've been like, well, I can now see where, what you were doing. You were, you know, but at that time it was, you know, and I can look back and go like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have wanted to be around me either. I had no other like way to cope. I didn't know what to do. Just survive. So, but I would take my baby in for her appointments and he would do her stuff. And then he'd be like, okay, now you, let's talk about you. What, what, how was your mental state how is your emotional state how you know and because and I had and I told him I said losing my dad was harder than losing my mom in some ways not because I didn't love my mom because she was my best friend and her death was extremely hard but my dad's death was hard because it was the end Mm -hmm. it was the end all you know and he would in those appointments he would just take time for me which you know in the in my first four pregnancies and babies he would you know do those the babies and then okay see ya you know like baby's all good but because of my outside situations that were affecting me he knew how important it was for me to take care of myself and my mental state and so he would take time to focus on me and good for you for filling him in on that because I think it's easy to just be the robot when you go to the doctor and be like hey this is what I need things by like you allow him to like have that space with you do you know what I mean yeah so good for you for that because that is hard to do sometimes yeah we've had women on here who have said well I didn't tell my doctor the truth because I didn't feel comfortable I didn't feel comfortable I didn't want to admit that that was how I was feeling yeah, yeah, so that is incredible yeah. that you... And I think because of the relationship that I have already had with him, mm-hmm. I knew I was... Com- like, I knew I could. He was a safe place. And sometimes I feel like... I 
I believe therapy is amazing. And if you need it, please do it because it will help you so much. But for me to make that step to call and make an appointment was hard. Mm -hmm. But I knew I could do it with my doctor. Yeah. And so even though he wasn't a, you know, therapist per se, he did for me what a therapist could do. So I didn't have to swallow that big pill and make that phone call and go meet a stranger that would help me when he was willing to do it and knew, knew my history. So I didn't have to relive it over again. I didn't have to tell, you know, someone Mm -hmm. else, you know, and I am an open book. I will tell my story till the days are dark, you know, because talking about it helps me Mm -hmm. talking about it heals me. And that's one thing that he allowed me to do. And not only in a hospital, in the doctor's room setting, like I could text him personally and And know that you were "Mm -hmm." going to get a response. Yeah. It's been six years since my mom passed away and four, no, no, two years. I got to go how old my kids are. (laughs) Six years since my mom and two years for my dad. And those emotions are not, they're not gone. You know, they're still there and I still have to, you know, live with them daily. But I also have good memories that I, like I said earlier, associate with them. You know, I associate the last time and first time my daughter met her grandpa, you know. And so having that memory is great. Yes, I I have two kids that don't know a grandma, you know, but I still have memories of her that we talk about with them and pictures, you know. So because I have to find my I have to find a happy place because if I go down that dark rabbit hole, it's so hard to come back out of. And so I so is, yeah. have to find happiness to go with it. It's really hard to always find happiness. And you know, it doesn't always happen either. You know, sometimes that rabbit hole does sneak up on it you. sucks you in. Sometimes it's super comfortable in that rabbit hole. It can be <laughs> It feels so, like a hot tub. <laughs> it can be so comfortable. I know you just sit there and it's like, yes. And I think that sometimes when you are trying to push them away that's where the it gets worse it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and the yelling in my head you know because i i I don't have those anymore my brain's not fighting with myself and because i believe that if i let those anger you know all those feelings happen they still would Mm -hmm. you know when i was after my dad's death when i was when I was just angry at everything, um, I think I was just so angry that I didn't have any emotions. Just numb. I never, like, like a real reason to not get out of that, you know, rabbit hole then. You know, like, I had my baby, and she was my ray of sunshine in a dark time. But that dark time, I could still, like, that little ray was really close, but it wasn't, wasn't big Mm -hmm. you know because that darkness was just all consuming so tara what would you tell yourself if you could go back to when you feel like you're in that dark rabbit hole where you're just allowing yourself to be numb and just barely make it through the day what would you tell yourself now allow yourself to feel that because you become stronger because of it Because those feelings that you're feeling in that rabbit hole, 
they're real feelings and you become stronger because of them you learn how to adapt because of them um and that time does it doesn't necessarily heal but time does change yeah because you have become stronger because of them when they do come back around you know what um tools you need to use per se to not allow yourself to go down there so don't be afraid of those rabbit hole feelings because they do make you stronger you do learn how to overcome them and you are stronger because of them so true thank you so much Tara for coming thank you thank you it's been a pleasure to listen to you share your story I know you've gone through some really hard times consecutively (laughs) so thank you for coming and and sharing all of that with us thank you my pleasure Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.